Please turn, if you would, in your copy of God's Holy Word to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the seventh chapter. And as you turn there in your copy of God's Holy Word, you'll notice that we are not in Hebrews as usual. It's a topical sermon tonight. Uh, as I spent some time in prayer for the congregation, uh, it seemed like there were many, great many souls that are struggling with the season of being downcast. And the Holy Ghost seemed to bring this text to my remembrance, and it seemed suited for our time. So if you could turn there with that understanding, 2 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 6, our focus will be on verse 6, but uh, we will read the context for our edification. These are the very words of God. Having, therefore, these promises, dearly beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God, that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Our gracious God, how gracious you are to give us your word, and then to also give us the word preached, that you, through a human instrument, may reach down and touch hearts by your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Father, that you would bring us the consolation of Christ, that it would abound through the preaching ministry. Father, the man that preaches cannot do this on his own without the Spirit's help. Give the man who preaches the Spirit of the Lord, and give all the hearts who hear an opening through the Spirit of God, that their hearts would be opened, as we heard this morning, to have the Word of God implanted, that they may have a word of comfort to those in affliction and a word of comfort for those who will be afflicted. So help me now, Father, speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Though in the church of Jesus Christ there are a great, great many Christians, men and women who are downcast. The church often ignores these downcast souls. Just even in the public assemblies of God, you often find them forced to sing, so to speak, happy, clappy songs, no matter what state their soul is in. The church often tells them, buck up. Your faith is small. A Christian never has cause for being downcast. But the reality is, and it's all throughout the Bible, if we would just take and read, the Christian often has many causes for being downcast. And rather than plaster over a soul's discouragement, just saying, stop feeling bad, or even, here, take some medicine to feel better, the scriptures prescribe that believers can have comfort from God, even in soul trouble. Verse 6 says, that God is a God that comforteth those that are cast down. 
Tonight, in the preaching of the Word, I want you to lay hold of that great truth and never, by God's help, forget it. That you have a God of comfort if you are in Christ. And there is comfort to be received from the God of heaven if you come through him through Jesus Christ. And so today our theme is simply that you would take hold of the promise of God's comfort for the downcast believer. So that those of you who are presently downcast may be comforted by God. And those of you who will be downcast may prepare for the day in which you might be downcast yourself. We'll consider that theme tonight under three heads. First is the downcast, second is the comforter, and third, the instruments. First, the downcast. Verse 6 begins, Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down. What a wonderful rendition that is. You know, it's a solemn thing, but a wonderful rendition of what it is. It feels, you see in the authorized version, what it feels like to be downcast. Cast down. There are times, sometimes even extended seasons, beloved, where you will find yourself downcast. Times when your soul is disquieted, in turmoil, without a sense even of peace. In Psalm 42.11, we'll sing this at the close of the service. David asked his soul this, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? The authorized version, as I mentioned, renders being downcast, which is what we more speak of today, right? We talk about being downcast. In both texts, though, it is called being cast down. In your pilgrimage to heaven, believer, you will often feel that way. We have to understand that this is something the saints deal with. This is why the Word of God deals with this topic so often, why there are songs to sing when you are downcast. And the word in the Hebrew language for being cast down or downcast has the sense, and Hebrew is such a poetic language, it has the sense of sinking, as though you are sinking, perhaps closer into despair. This is a soul disquieted, discouraged, and despondent. We must understand, beloved, in this life, you will face tribulation, our Lord said, even soul tribulation. This is not an experience foreign to the saints. It is not alien to the saints. It is one we will all face as believers. And as we think on this theme, the first warning I want you to have is that you must not fall prey to the therapeutic culture that we are in, friends, which wants easy and quick fixes, fixes disassociated from the Lord himself. What does our culture teach us? It is ingrained in us from a very early age that we are owed a life of no trouble. You think of this though, right? The Bible teaches if anybody is owed trouble, it is us as sinners. And you think of your Savior. The one man who was owed a life with no trouble was our Savior. And what do we read? He was constantly afflicted. He suffered grievously in both soul and body. Here in our text is the Apostle Paul, who suffered greatly in his life. Perhaps the greatest Christian to ever live, who suffers grievously. You only have to turn a page back. Maybe you don't even have to turn a page back. Back to chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And you can read of his uh, grief. Listen to this. As unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful and always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. 
This is the state of affairs for the Apostle Paul. One of the greatest believers of all time. Beloved, the truth is, and you have to get this straight because our expectations are always out of whack, naturally, right? The godly will face fiery trials in their souls, in this life. Trials that are sent by God. And I'll give you a few reasons. There are a great many reasons. But here are a few that the soul, reasons why the soul of the saint can be downcast. First, we always have to begin here. Sometimes it is unrepentant sin that troubles a conscience. Psalm 32, 3-4, When I kept silence, this is David speaking of his sin, My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. He cannot find rest for his soul because there is unrepentant sin in the man's life. We'll consider the rest of that psalm a little bit later. But second, sometimes we face temptations that are too hard to endure. Sometimes our affliction comes because we are tempted to sin. And we have to realize that for the godly, temptations are hard trials. Right? In 1 Corinthians 10.13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Listen to this language. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But you see, you are stretched to the breaking point in temptations at times. And the problem is, when temptation comes, we don't resist. We give in and we don't take hold of this promise. But temptations are often a great trial. Third, sometimes there are afflictions and trials of both soul and body. And these are afflictions that come upon us. In verse 5 you read, right, Our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. In 1 Peter 4.12, we've heard this before. Peter writes of the fiery trial which is to try you. You can see that the believer will go through trials of both soul and body. Sometimes, lastly, this is just the last reason, we feel, and this is perhaps the worst trial of all to those who, who have a spiritual sensitivity, sometimes you feel a great distance from God himself. And that vexes us. Psalm 77, 7, Will the Lord cast off forever, and will he be favorable no more? Here is a man who loves his God, and he senses there's some reason there's a distance between God and himself, and his soul is in turmoil. So there's just a few afflictions, unrepentant sin, a distance from God, temptations and trials that feel very hard to endure. All that to say, for many reasons, the saints will feel afflictions, and even the godliest Christian is not immune. David, the Apostle Paul, even our uh, Christ Jesus, our Lord, were, they were all afflicted in their soul, though, of course, Christ was never afflicted for his sin. His sin. Our sin, yes. Not his sin. But all who believe will suffer. And you have to know that. The Bible, if there's one thing the Bible teaches, is that there is a promise from God that you will suffer in this life. After all, in this world, our Savior said, you will have tribulation. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself said what? My soul is sorrowful, even unto death. Here is the Redeemer suffering in his soul. And so the Christian, understanding that they will suffer and perhaps are suffering even now and are downcast, must meditate on the promise of our text. Nevertheless, God, that comforteth those that are cast down. Here is where the downcast must go. To God, because He alone comforts the downcast. In Psalm 42, 11, when David asked, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? What did he say next? 
Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. David sought his comfort from the Lord. He, he, we've talked about this in Psalm 103, right? How this lost art of addressing our soul. He tells his soul, seek comfort from God. Why are you so disquieted when you have God? Why does he seek God? Because of the promise, God that comforteth those that are cast down. And so the first thing we must ask is when your soul is cast down, where do you run straight away? Do you run to God straight away? Do you rush to God immediately in your affliction? Why not? Is it because you don't know this promise out of the word? That God comforteth the downcast. Remind your soul of comfort in God. Let me remind you of how this epistle began, because it is famous for this, isn't it? Go back to chapter 1. Let us read verses 3 to 5. How does it begin? Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Now read this carefully. Read verse 3 carefully. What does What is God called here? He's called the God of all comfort. Now I want you to pay close attention. Does the Bible call God the God of comfort? No. He is the God of all comfort, all comfort, entire and whole comfort. In other words, believer, every comfort your soul needs is found in God. He's not the God of comfort. He's not the God of some comfort. He is the God of all comfort, all comfort. Every comfort your soul needs is in him. Now read verse 4, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Read that carefully too. Does it say, who comforteth us in our tribulation? No. It says he comforts us in all our tribulation. Each and every one. All tribulation can find all comfort in God. There's not a single one that is exempt. Whatever you are facing, there is comfort from God. Is that not something worthy of meditation when we are downcast? You know, One of the worst things that we do, because we are, in the flesh, so self-centered. We are so self-centered. One of the worst things we do is to say in our heart, my species of trouble will be without comfort. That there is nothing God can do to comfort me. And of all the people on the earth, I am the only one who has ever suffered in this way. But believer, that is to deny the very plain words of God. The weakness of your flesh and the influence of the world will will cause you to deny that you can have comfort from God. All in the hopes of what? Drawing your attention away from God and to yourself and whatever the world will try to give you as, as a counterfeit comfort. Whether it be sin or worldliness or pleasure, whatever it is, it'll try to seduce you away from God's comfort. What else did we find in 2 Corinthians 1? Verse 5 says, Just as Christ's sufferings abound in believers. (laughs) How we hate that word, abound, and sufferings. How much suffering? It abounds in believers. It abounds in believers. You have to take that to heart. Because again, we can say, nobody suffers like I suffer. 
but the sufferings abound in believers. But what is the promise? Our consolation abounds in Christ. Is that not a promise to grab hold of? The suffering abounds, but the consolation abounds, and it is found in Jesus Christ. We'll get to it later, but as he suffered abundantly, how sympathetic our high priest is to supply every comfort we need in affliction. And what you need to understand as you see these texts and you see where comfort is from, this is perhaps the most heartening thing about comfort and affliction, rather, affliction of the soul. Sometimes, beloved, when the Lord makes your soul downcast, it is really to draw yourself to him. It is to say, come to me, child of God, so that I may give you comfort. It is the Lord drawing you closer to himself to wean you and your hopes off this world and even off of yourself and to find all comfort in him. You remember when we were in Hosea last year, we heard in Hosea 2.14 when the Lord said this, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably or comfort unto her. Do you see that? The Lord drew Israel into the wilderness. Why? Into that terrible place to allure her and to comfort her. I hope this isn't embarrassing for my wife, but one of my favorite memories of my wife that I cherish so deeply was really on the day that my dad died. And I was driving home from the store. It was completely unexpected, out of the blue. And I got a call from my brother, and I couldn't even make heads or tails of it that my dad had died and passed away suddenly. It was a, a sudden and shocking thing. And I got home, and I told my wife, and all she did was she just hugged me tightly. She cried with me. She wept with me. And she gave me such consolation in that time. And it is now one of my favorite memories of my wife, who loved me so and comforted me. You know, to know comfort from Christ is far better than that, even with my wife, right? That our bridegroom, our husband, draws us to himself in affliction, that we might have a strong consolation from him, that we may see his pity and mercy, that we would find all of our springs are in him, all of our hopes and all of our desires, and that all our hopes in carnality is as dung compared to having Christ. And we long then for the day when his consolation is fully ours then, right? It brings our hopes to glory on that day when he will embrace us himself physically and draw us to himself. And I thought on this, if we had no tears this side of glory, would we ever long for the day when he will wipe away our tears with his own hand? I don't suppose we would. And so in that, you also have to understand what comfort is, consolation is from God. Comfort is not about removing the affliction. Do you see that? Do you understand that? It's about God comforting you in the midst of affliction. He might not take the affliction, but he gives himself to you. He gives his love. He gives his nearness. He gives his presence. He gives the promises of God. He gives the hope of glory. He gives himself. And you find consolation in the midst of your trouble. And that is consolation from God. Well, knowing then we will be downcast, let's consider this great comforter more in our second head. Now, if God is promised to be the comforter of the downcast, we must ask, and I've opened that topic up already, what kind of comfort does he give us? You know, some of us, we might leave this text here. God is your comforter, and he will comfort you. Fair enough. 
The text says it. We believe it, right? But I think we ought to investigate some more so that the downcast soul might better know how to embrace God and have his comfort. And the first point, which I touched on just now, and I must be certain you know this, is that he is the God of comfort only to those with faith in Christ. He comforts no one else. In 2 Corinthians 1.3, we read it, God is called the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. If your soul is downcast, the first and most necessary directive for you is to turn to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you are still in your sin, and the wages of your sin earn an eternity of torment. And the torment of your downcast soul today is nothing compared to the eternal torment of hell. In fact, your downcast soul may well be your sin troubling your conscience. And so you are to flee to Jesus, take hold of him by faith, and have God as your Father, a Father of mercies, and your God of all comfort. But believer in Christ, that out of the way, let us discover how the Lord gives you comfort. And the greatest comfort is very simple, and yet very profound, and sad to say, perhaps the least appreciated. Your comfort is that you have God himself. You have God himself. In Psalm 42, when David is disquieted, what does he pant for? Who does he pant for? He pants for God. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. He doesn't pant. Remove the affliction. He says, when my soul is disquieted, I want you. I want you, God. He seeks his comfort in God. God is his comfort. You remember, we came to the conclusion of our Psalm of the Month. What was the essence of the covenant of grace in Psalm 105? These words, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Our comfort is that God has sworn to be our God through Jesus Christ, the mediator. All comfort is found in that for us, the believer, is the Alpha and Omega. Our God, the great I Am. The Lord told Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. I am your comfort. And in the incarnation, our comfort goes even further than that. God in Jesus Christ is ours. Flesh of our flesh, bone of our bones. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. What comfort there is if you knew who God was. What comfort it is to say that. Jesus Christ, the one who conquered death and hell itself, he is mine. And by an unbreakable covenant, all the promises of God are mine in him. My comfort is supremely in that the God of all comfort is mine. In Psalm 42, 11, after David challenges his cast down soul, he directs his soul like this, Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Blessed words, my God. Profaned. I think the enemy wants to profane it. You hear people say all over time, my God, breaking the third commandment. But it ought to be the most precious words to the believer. My God, he is mine. Likewise, the apostle brings you this comfort in 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 22. Let no man glory in men. Let's learn that. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And ye are Christ's. And Christ is God's. Oh, is there such glory in that? You know, I could stop there. The sermon would be over. We could go home now, meditate on that. And you should 
find comfort. Because as we heard in Psalm 105, to have Jehovah as your God is everything. And we must also understand as God is our comfort, there is even a person in the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, whose work it is to bring the comfort of God to your soul. In John 15, 26, but when the who comes, when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Is it not fitting that he is called the Spirit of adoption, by which we cry what? Abba, Father, the Holy Spirit. And who is he? He is God come down to you, the believer, to dwell in you by the Spirit of God. God so close to bring comfort to the hearts of believers. So that the comfort, you know, you think of theology proper, right? We call him, he is immense. And yet he is close to us, the God of all comfort, of immense comfort. Well, knowing that the God of all comfort is the comforter of his people, you might still say, Pastor, this is greatly encouraging. But are there ways I can lay hold of his comforts? And you might ask, are there reasons why I might not be comforted right now? Well, this past week, I asked myself the same question, and I thought on eight ways through the scriptures that you might grab hold of God's comfort for yourself. And the place I think you must begin, if God is to be our comfort, is to first know who God is. Oh, what great comfort there is when you know who God is. Remember how he was introduced in 2 Corinthians 1, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Now, that is knowledge of God isn't it? How many of you had filed that away as knowledge of God? Do you see how knowledge of God is necessary for comfort? That he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is called the father of mercies. Glory of glories. He is my father. I am adopted by God and I have him as the father of mercies in Jesus Christ, the creator of the cosmos, the the beginning and the end, right? He is mine and he is my father. How will he not care for us? Think of other ways to meditate on him, believer. Let me just go through some attributes of God. And let me ask you, do you know that God is a God of pure love to you, the believer? 1 John 4, 8. Do you know that God is sovereign? That all things work for your good, Romans 8, 28. Do you know that he set your Savior at his right hand to accomplish all things for the good of his church? Ephesians 1, 22. Do you know that God will judge his enemies that seem to prosper today? Psalm 77, verse 18. Do you know that he is the God of the living and not of the dead, that you will be raised from the dead? Matthew twenty-two thirty-two. Do you know that out of love he gave his only begotten son for your sins? John three sixteen. Do you know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save the chief of sinners when your conscience is aflame and it's afflicting you and you are downcast? 1 Timothy 1.15. I, I could go on and on with this line of inquiry. This is not a sermon on the knowledge of God or knowledge of Christ. But what I want to point you out to is that this knowledge of God shows that for every affliction or tribulation, he has a specific comfort. He is the God of all comfort. Whatever the affliction is, there is a property in God you need to discover that you might have comfort knowing he is yours. He is the God of all comfort for every tribulation. And you need to drive that backwards. What is my tribulation? Let me go find where comfort comes from the word of God. And it's there. It's there. 
This is what Paul called what? The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. This glorious knowledge of Christ is why Paul said all else was as dung to him. The saints who have persevered, oh, how they have known their God. Paul told Timothy, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed. 2 Timothy 1.12 What was Joseph's comfort in Genesis 50.20? That the evil his brothers did, because he knows his God, God was working for good to save many people alive. He knew that quality of God, utterly sovereign, working all things for good, and such that the comfort of saints who have had evil done to them is this. Right? When they take Genesis 50.20, when, when those of you are troubled in your soul because of the evil men have done to you, you say, I have taken comfort from God, and now I will watch and wait for what good the Lord will work in this. That is faith working through to give us comfort by knowing who God is. So first, know who God is from his word. Second, in affliction. And this is so far from us, and yet is so necessary. You are called to bless the Lord in the midst of your troubles. You are to praise Him. You are to adore Him. You are to worship Him. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 1.3 when he talked about God as the God of comfort? Blessed be God. Blessed be God. You know, in affliction, idolaters never have a thought of God. That is truth. Their thoughts are fixed on what they have lost or what they are suffering, but not on God and never on God's glory and praise. True worshipers of the Lord, they go to bless the Lord in their affliction. What did Job immediately say in his great affliction? The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. What? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job 1.21. Where does the man go? His thoughts go to the glory of God, and he finds comfort in that. He worships God. And because, as I briefly mentioned earlier, psalm singing has declined in the modern church, we no longer know that we can bless God in our laments. Most, most have no treasury of songs to sing when they are downcast to God. And most do not know that such great treasure is found in the very middle of their Bible. And they feel like they cannot praise God then in the midst of their affliction, as human hymns rarely express lament. And they think to bless God and to praise God means I must be so happy and clappy. And yet here is David in Psalm 42 with his soul disquieted and cast down, praising and blessing God. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? In the midst of his travail, child of God, he praised God. Do you sing psalms when your soul is afflicted and downcast? Prayer is good. Yes, reading the word is very good. Yes, meditating on the word is very good. But I have found that psalm singing is often neglected when the saints are downcast. When you praise God, right, in your, when your soul is troubled, when you praise God and you, you are saying to your soul, Oh, my soul, it is God who has importance in this time. 
It is God who is worthy. It is God's glory that is paramount, not my comfort. No matter what happens to me, that God is worthy of praise and blessing. And that is what matters ultimately, right? As, as the Apostle Paul said in his affliction in Galatians 2, he says what? That the life I now live, I live for the Son of God. And I say, whatever happens in my soul, whatever happens in my body, my life is lived for God. Let me bless God. Spurgeon said, by praising God, we get a taste of the joys of immortality. What are the angels and the saints in glory doing right now, this moment? They are adoring They are worshiping, and they are blessing God day and night. So when you worship, then you think of that, eternity entering into into the earth. As you worship God, you are now entering that time in a sense, in a sense where there are no more tears, where there is no more cast down soul, where there is no sin, no curse, no death. And by drawing your affections to bless the Almighty, he comforts you, beloved, I've often wrestled with the Lord in my Bible reading and my prayer, but the the comfort from God sometimes just comes when I open my psalm book and I bless the Lord and I sing praises to him. For I am truly saying he is worthy of praise. I am worthy of death and damnation, but he is worthy of praise and my soul is comforted in that. Third, meditate on what great things he has done for you. Even our Psalm 126, which we opened our our call to worship with, recalls the great things the Lord has done. When the first chapter called uh, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of mercies, let me ask, was your mind drawn to the cross? It should have been. It must have been. In affliction, can you be drawn to the wonder of wonders, your salvation, and the infinite mercies that you have from God? That is how the apostle finds comfort in Romans 8, is it not? What shall we say to these things? In the midst of so much tribulation and persecution and trials, he says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And sometimes we stop there. How does it go? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Where does the comfort come, beloved, in the gospel message that God cut down his son for you who believe on the Lord? And really, I have to ask, what other comfort is necessary? What else does your soul need? Believer, how does God show he is for you in every providence and not against you? By not sparing his own son. How can we refuse to be consoled by that? Oh, how hard our heart must be today to say, I will not be comforted that the Son of God was struck down by God. And surely you know in your own history, he has been doing great things for you. He has taken you, believer, from one affliction to the next, and he has never forsaken you ever. Even as it seemed as though perhaps your world was crumbling around you, he was ever faithful to you, even in the darkest night of your soul, and here you are. Here you are. Yet how quick we are to forget all his mercies. And as we read, I thought it was so fitting, in Jeremiah, in our reading, like Rachel, we refuse to be comforted. Fourth, you are to deepen your trust and grow in faith when you are cast down. This builds on the prior ways to gain comfort, especially our knowledge of God. 
The knowledge of God, really, and I hope even in the time we have been together, the knowledge of God increases our faith. Pray for an increase as well. Say, Lord, I believe. I believe you work even this affliction for my good. Help thou mine unbelief. Resolve to trust in the good decrees of God when you are cast down and in turmoil. We turn to 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 8. Hear why God makes us downcast at times. I'll read to verse 10. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. You hear, first of all, listen to the soul trouble here. He despaired of life. He despaired of life. You have to understand that this comes to many believers. But what was the purpose intended by the Lord? And oh, how we need to learn this lesson, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, And his faith grew that God will deliver him from this trial. Sometimes, beloved, comfort eludes us until we realize we trust ourselves too much. We're living in not independence on the Lord, but on ourselves. And so what does God do? He, He makes you despair even of your own life, that you might trust in God who raises the dead. Believer, will you have Job's resolve when downcast? What did the man say when it came to trusting God? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job 13, 15. Now there was a man that trusted in God. You must grow to trust all the promises of God, believer. You just heard that in Hebrews. Think of it. Is your soul downcast? Maybe this is one. I just pulled this out. Is your soul downcast because you are so weary? Will you trust this promise? But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Isaiah forty thirty one. Do you see how faith makes us trust in that promise and not in ourselves because we are so quick to say, I am so fatigued. I am so weary. I cannot bear this any longer. And God is saying, what about me? Do you trust me? Do you depend in me? Trust in me for strength. Is your soul downcast because you are suffering for righteousness' sake? Trust this promise. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Romans 10.11 Is your soul downcast because of bodily afflictions? Oh, would you trust the promise from Job? I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. No, the, 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 the issue for us is all of our bodily afflictions have an expiration date at our death. Right? Really, at the end of the day, whether our bodily affliction lasts a year or 50, what is that compared to the exceeding weight of glory which awaits us? And that's what Job understood. My Redeemer lives. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. So grow in faith in the promises of God and receive comfort. Fifth, gain comfort with a holy walk with the Lord. And this is greatly neglected, beloved. 
But let me ask again, how can you have comfort in your soul if you live in sin? When you are cast down, resolve to root out sin in your heart and walk closer to God. In chapter 7, returning to our, our primary text, how does the apostle begin? I thought it was so interesting. We often divorce the context here. But it begins by saying, Having therefore these promises... Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If you are to claim these promises, you need to cleanse yourself of your sin and perfect holiness in the fear of God. Think of this. How can a holy God give comfort to you when you walk in sin? How can a holy God give comfort to you when you refuse to live for righteousness? When did the prodigal Gain comfort. When did he gain the embrace and kiss of the Father? When he repented of his sin. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son, and make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Luke fifteen eighteen to 20. Oh, when downcast, it is time to search out your ways. And repent to the Lord. And that is when he runs out, so to speak, to kiss you and embrace you and comfort you. In Psalm 32, David's spirit was without rest because he had unconfessed sin. But when he confessed, God forgave. And at the end of the psalm, he says, He that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. And shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. The Lord comforted him when his sin was confessed. And it's counterintuitive, I realize, but the more you fear the Lord, the more you are comforted. When the church was persecuted in Acts 9, listen to what happened. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Fear and comfort, they go together. Fear and comfort go together. Fearing God is never divorced from comfort. Do you think God is going to comfort you if you have no awe and reverence and fear for him? Now, to walk close with the Lord, to have comfort, right? You, you wish to have the kisses of Christ and the embrace of Christ. That means, beloved, at the very least, you need to be spending time with Him. Where are you going to get comfort, right? Would I get comfort from my wife if I never spent a solitary moment with her? No. It's a strange thing when the downcast Christian looks in every place for comfort, but does not spend quality time with their God. Save from the heart when downcast. Let me spend time with the God of all comfort. In Ezekiel eleven sixteen, he promised to be a little sanctuary, a little refuge for his people. What happens when uh, Babylon outlaws true religion? Daniel goes straight away to commune with God. Make time for the God of all comfort, especially when downcast. That goes with this morning's sermon, so I'll leave that there. Sixth, as you think on that, Gain comfort out of Jesus' sympathetic priesthood. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God, praise God for this, is not left to ourselves. But mercy is given to us by our great high priest to cover our sin, and grace is given to walk in holiness. And how we rejoice that this is a sympathetic priesthood. You know, we consider this in Hebrews, but what a terrible thing it is, isn't it, that he ever stands, he ever liveth to make intercession for us, He ever has a throne of grace and mercy, wholly inclined to give us peace and give it to us in sympathy, but we rarely go to him. 
Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us what? What is the use? Therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And in this, the sympathy of Christ is paramount. Your Savior, and you forget this, I forget it too, He suffered in both soul and body. He suffered in soul and body. Do you not think He is sympathetic to you when you are downcast? Do you not think He knows, child of God, what it is like? He's actually experienced something none of you here have, death. He knows what the end of human life is like too. Do you not think he is sympathetic? What a thing it is to think on and comfort from God that he has taken on a human nature, flesh of our flesh, bone of our bones, to be our bridegroom. The divine person of the Son of God knows what anguish in the soul is like. Something that God blessed forever, who never has a change in his happiness, eternally forever, in the human nature, he knows what it is like to be downcast and suffer in a human soul. He understands it. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And when he he said that, I always marvel at this. The Lord himself was comforted by the presence of his disciples, wasn't he? He said, tarry ye here and watch with me. Having understanding of all that, what it is like to be in need of comfort, something God in the divine nature can have no idea of. Obviously, he knows he cannot experience. Let me put it that way. Do you not think that when you are downcast, Jesus Christ will not send his presence by his spirit to comfort you? He will. We say, O Lord, increase our faith. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so too our consolation aboundeth, not just a little, aboundeth by Christ. Seventh, you will gain comfort when you recognize the Lord never abandons his people. If we believe on the Lord, he will be with you through the fiery furnace and trial, just as he was with Daniel's three friends in Babylon. He is never away from the believer when the believer is cast down. He might actually withdraw himself from you to allure you to himself, but that is not an abandonment. That is meant to draw you. Where is my love? Where is he that I love above all? And let me chase him. That's what he does there. But he has promised to you, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13, 5. And what did the apostle say was the use of that knowledge? Sometimes we memorize these scriptures, but we don't remember their use. What was the use? So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do to me. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, beloved. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, are you persuaded, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is located where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. That is comfort, isn't it? In every circumstance, in every situation. 
When faith takes hold of that promise, oh, how the believer is comforted, even if they are suffering tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. Do you see that comfort doesn't remove us from our affliction, but it comforts us in the affliction to endure it? We may still suffer, but it is like, it is like, right, when uh, we are in the hospital bed and that loved one comes to us to put their hands in ours, we are comforted by God. And all is well with my soul. Eighth, and lastly, we are comforted in knowing our destination. When Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, what did he add to that? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. John 14. Have you been comforted by that thought? Have you been comforted? That the one who bought you with his blood is making a place for you in heaven where you may be his forever. When your soul is downcast, would you look up, believer? When your soul is cast down, look up. Look up into heaven by faith and perceive what? That your life is hid with Christ above. That's where my life is. That where he is, I will be also. You are headed to glory. This life, again, has an expiration date. Praise God. Again, I've said this to you before, but when James says that our life is but a vapor, the more I grow to say, praise the Lord for that. There is a place where there is never a cast down soul, a place where tribulations are ended, a place where we read, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. How appropriate it is that the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, reminds you, that you will rest from your labors forever. Those are eight ways, and there are many more, that you might have comfort from the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all tribulation. And so I hope you see that whether you are downcast due to affliction in soul or body, the Lord has a particular and peculiar comfort that he applies to every tribulation that he applies to your soul. Just go and find it. And if you need help, seek others who may be able to lead you that way in the Scripture even your elders. Well, lastly, and time is short, and I will treat this very briefly because of time, uh, let's look at the instruments. And I must say this before I conclude, and I hope, I hope you have seen that I have not come to preach to you sort of mere sentimentality, a, a, a mere like, it'll all be right, it's fine. And in a sense, that's true. But all of this was found in the Word of God. But I hope that every comfort that you have recognized tonight has come out of the very words of God. And so the instrument that the Lord often uses is knowledge of the word, all of it. What did David say? We sang it this morning. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. That is his comfort in his affliction. Psalm 119.50. That is the voice. This Bible is the voice of the God of all comfort. He speaks peace to you through it. Cherish it. Oh, cherish it. Know it. Bury yourself in it. Bury it deep in your heart as you heard this morning. Meditate on it often, day and night, night and day. Have roots in it like that tree in Psalm 1 planted in Christ. But also, and this goes back to what I said earlier, that maybe you need sometimes others to point you to the word. Others are often an instrument of comfort to us. Paul said in verse 6, God comforted us. Why? What was the instrument? By the coming of Titus. 
And how did this book begin? That God who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in, listen to this, any trouble. What trouble? Any trouble. Any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. See, we get comfort from God, and God has all comfort, and we are able to comfort anybody in any trouble. Praise God by having the word of God. There is no trouble you cannot minister the word of God to. What a glorious thing that is. And so what is it on you then? When you see your brethren who are cast down, go comfort them with the word of God. Remind them of the good word of God, not with platitudes, but to understand the depth of their trouble, yes. And maybe for a season being silent like Job's friends but gently pointing them to the word of God, that there is a God of all comfort, and encourage them to find it. Remind them of Christ's promises to them. Sometimes we need a word from another. And if we have received comfort, right? This is what I have prayed for, and I've told some of the older saints. We have prayed for more of you who have had comfort from tribulation to tribulation to tribulation, closer to the end of the race, so that you may say to others, this is how God comforted me. This is how God did it. And you are called to comfort others. The Lord sovereignly brings others who are afflicted in soul that we might comfort them. This is a Christian duty. Out of the word of God. We who have received much comfort are to comfort others. I can't say anything more tonight. Our time is gone. Other than to close with this reminder that we began, or not really began with, that 2 Corinthians began with, Blessed be God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Amen. Praise God for that. May we bless the name of the Lord richly for it. Please rise as we seek him in prayer. Our holy God, We confess to you that our thoughts of God are too low. Our thoughts of God are too small. And our thoughts of ourselves are far too great. We confess, O God, that we trust in ourselves more than we trust in you. We confess to you, Father, that we find no comfort from God because we are thinking too much on ourselves and not the God of all comfort. O God, would you forgive us? Would you heal us? Would you draw us into a closer and more holy walk with you, O God, that we would find comfort walking day by day, that we would deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after you, that we would walk near to our Lord Jesus, that we would be comforted day and night, night and day, as we meditate on the word of God. In so many ways, Father, we are comfortless because we don't know you. And so, Father, we pray that you would shed abroad into our hearts the love of God, And that as you do so, Father, that we would not look to the world for comfort. We would not look to our sin, our lusts, all these things that cannot satisfy. But instead, we would look to Christ. Oh, give us a sight of Christ greater tonight than we had this morning. We pray that you would do this, that you would be glorified and you would be blessed by our very the very depth of our soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We pray that this would be the refrain of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.